And he, that's Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, just one verse, Paul writes these words, verse 16. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world. And then look at this line. He was received up in glory. Father, I thank you today for your presence here. And first, I want to pray, Lord, for uh, Crystal Lovegrove, Bobby Howe, whose father passed yesterday. I just pray, Lord, that you would minister your peace and comfort to them. I know that he knew you, and so he is in your presence. I just pray that you would comfort them, be very near to them in this time. And Father, as we look to your word now, really um, a subject that quite honestly gets little time little press little conversation but is so meaningful to us so powerful if we'll understand it as we turn our attention to the ascension of jesus help us to understand how important that is in our everyday life and in our worship teach us today holy spirit and i pray holy spirit that you would anoint me not as one deserving not as one who has earned it but as one who needs it to rightly divide the word of truth open our eyes to see what we've never seen before ears to hear what we've never heard before hearts to receive truth of your word help me to speak with clarity not a single word of my own but only that which is from you and let the word of the lord change us and transform us today i pray in jesus name amen i um i doubt that many of us have hanging on our refrigerator the annual and i'm not talking about glad tidings church the church universal calendar but and since you don't um, this coming Thursday, May 26th, is a day called Ascension Day on the church calendar. Ascension Day. Uh, it commemorates the return of Jesus back to heaven. His ascension on the 40th day after his resurrection. The first of those 40 days being Easter Sunday. It is what Luke described in the text that I read to you as he went out and raised his hands and blessed them and then he departed from them. It's what Paul calls in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Jesus being received up into glory. It's what Acts 1 describes when Jesus is with his disciples and they say, is this the time that you're going to 
restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And then when he's done, the Bible says he begins to lift off. He leaves the earth and disciples watch him as he goes. And suddenly two angels stand next to them. Jesus is now out of sight. And they say to the disciples, why do you stand looking up into the sky? Is the same Jesus that you've seen go up is going to come back in like manner. So Thursday is Ascension Day. Um, Marva Dawn and Eugene Peterson together in their combination work said this, Ascension Day is the perfect church holiday because the world can't steal it. The culture around us has quite ruined Christmas and Easter. Of course, the world owned Christmas as its festival for the restoration of the sun before the early Christians used it to disguise the celebration of Christ's birth. But the world has now stolen it for its consumeristic purposes and it's seized Easter for the same idolatry. In my teen years, I played clarinet in the high school band for the town Christmas parade at which Santa Claus was flown in by helicopter. Later I heard they flew the bunny in for Easter as well. But then they say, but the world hasn't got the foggiest notion what to do with someone who is flying out, all right? So that's what the ascension is. Jesus is flying out. He's returning to glory. The doctrine of the ascension, I would guess most in this room have never heard a sermon about it. Not certain that I've ever preached one specifically about the ascension. But it's often downplayed, it's overlooked, because most of our attention is focused on the death of Jesus, on the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. Patrick Schreider says, speaking of the ascension, it sits at the end of the couch completely ignored in Christian theology. We don't talk about it much. It's like it's um, the ugly stepchild that we don't even want to think about. Why is this? I think one of the reasons is we don't want to detract from the resurrection. We don't want to detract from the birth of Jesus, any of these other cardinal doctrines. We don't in any way want to denigrate them. But can I just tell you, and this is what I'm going to talk about today, when we place a healthy, when we place a, a healthy perspective on the ascension and a healthy emphasis on the ascension, it actually lifts up those other key doctrines. I'm going to suggest to you that the ascension cannot be separated from these other key doctrines of Christ. Here's what we're going to talk about today. The first of these doctrines, of course, is his incarnation. We're going to talk about how the ascension relates with that. Secondly, his death. Thirdly, his resurrection. And then finally, his return. And the ascension is actually very important in all four of those. How might these all be on the screen intertwined with that ascension of Jesus back into heaven? All of these events, all of these doctrines, they are distinguishable from one another. But you can't really separate them in the plan and purpose of God. So let's talk about each of those. First of all, let's talk about the ascension and the incarnation of Jesus. 
Incarnation of Jesus, just so we all know that we're talking about the same thing, the incarnation of Jesus is when he came to earth as a child, a baby in Bethlehem, incarnare, carnare is flesh, so he came in the flesh. The incarnation is the celebration of the doctrine of Jesus coming in the flesh, God coming in the flesh to earth. Now, let me suggest to you that the the ascension is actually the pinnacle moment. It is the climactic moment of that earthly ministry of Jesus. While Jesus was with his disciples, he said to them, it is necessary for me to go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. I need to leave. It It is essential for me to leave. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit cannot come. Jesus had told his disciples that he would leave. He said in John 14, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and I'm gonna receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So though the disciples did not understand it, the ascension was like the crowning moment of his ministry here on earth in the flesh. One might think that focusing our attention on the ascension would take our eyes off the earthly ministry of Jesus, which had its origin in the incarnation when he was born in Bethlehem. But it actually does just the opposite. It forces us to look back at the earthly ministry of Jesus. Because the ascension is the fulfillment of that earthly ministry. Remember these words, John 17, Jesus is praying. It's likely just a few hours before he is to be crucified. And he's praying to the Father and he said, I have glorified you on earth. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, would you glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had before the world existed? Jesus is signaling the fact that he is headed back to heaven. And he says to the Father, I've done everything you've called me to do here in the earthly ministry. And now I want you to restore the glory that I had with you in heaven before the world even existed. So he goes back in the ascension to heaven where he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high and his work is complete. I want you to follow these next few bullet points that we will put on the screen. Jesus descended in the flesh in his incarnation. The verse that we put on the screen, you know that, John 1, 14, the word became flesh. So Jesus descended in the flesh in his incarnation. And why did he do that? He did that so he could redeem our flesh. So he could redeem humanity. He descended in flesh to redeem flesh. And when he ascended, this may rock your world if you never really thought about it, but when he ascended, he returned in the flesh. Flesh for the first time is brought into the heavenly realm where God resides and Jesus becomes the first human in heaven. 
The day that he ascended, you understand that before Jesus came here, he was the word. The word became flesh. He took on bodily existence. He lived for 33 years. And when he ascended, he didn't, once he got through the clouds, throw off the flesh. He ascended still in the flesh. And he became the first fleshly being ever to enter heaven. Can you imagine what the angels thought? What is this? We've not seen this here up in our realm before. We've only seen it down on earth. And for the first time, flesh entered into heaven. You see, what Jesus was doing in the incarnation, get this, Jesus was elevating human essence by being the first human in heaven. He exalted and lifted up humanity by becoming the first human in heaven. And so the ascension verified the work of the incarnation. He had done what he was called to do. In scripture, the two events, the birth of Jesus or the incarnation and the ascension are not separated. They are two movements of the same act. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. You see, it's like two movements of the same act. The word became flesh. He descended, and the one that descended is now the one who ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And then look what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of men. So this is his descending. He took on flesh. Being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Look at this. So he is in the flesh. He's descended. But now what happens? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at me for just a moment. You cannot separate the two events. The incarnation and the ascension are two movements of the same act. Jesus, listen, get this, this is pretty powerful. Jesus descends in the flesh, his incarnation. And then he rises in the flesh in his ascension. So the incarnation is not repudiated in the ascension, but it is affirmed. Christ descended to ascend. He came to restore what was fallen and what was broken in the fall of Adam. I love this line. He descended. He became flesh to bring God to humanity. Just stop there for a moment. What was the birth of Jesus? His name shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. He descended to bring God to humanity. But he ascended to bring humanity to God. He became the first one in the presence of God in heaven. And you and I have that hope one day too. How many are thankful for that? Some of you yesterday 
Some of you last week, some of you this week, will bury loved ones that knew Jesus. You can have the assurance that they are in the presence of God today because Jesus descended first to redeem flesh. He brought God to humanity so he could take humanity to God in the ascension. You know, I, I don't normally brag on myself, but that is really good preaching. I'm just telling you that. That is. He descended. He brought, he brought God to humanity so that he could bring us, humanity, to God. Number two, the ascension and the cross of Jesus. Some worry that when we put too much emphasis on Jesus as the exalted ascended king, that it could somehow detract from the cross. But again, I would suggest to you that they cannot be separated. One does not overshadow the other. I could spend two weeks giving you associations between the cross and the ascension. I'm going to ask you to just look at one. The ascension is ac actually the revelation of the cross. Before Jesus went back to heaven, before he ascended, the cross made no sense. I want you to do something we don't normally do. We're not good at it. But I want you to think about the disciples and how they saw the cross initially. Um, we have a hard time seeing the cross like the disciples did because we know what the cross did. We know that three days later Jesus came out of the tomb. We know that he ascended. We now celebrate the cross. The disciples, by the time they wrote gospels, they understood more as well. But I'm talking about that day that they stood and they looked at the cross. They were devastated. They were afraid. Fear, confusion, mourning, darkness. That's what the cross looked like to them. The cross, listen, was the greatest tragedy they had ever known. If you don't believe that, look at the two disciples on the Emmaus Road and their shoulders are hanging and Jesus, they don't recognize Jesus. He walks up alongside them and, and they're sad and dejected. He said, what are you so sad about? They said, are you the only one around that hasn't heard? Jesus of Nazareth, the one we thought was going to be our Messiah, he was crucified and now there's this silly rumor that he has been resurrected and the tomb is empty. So those first disciples, when they saw the cross, their world was crushed. Complete dejection, complete loss, and fear for their own lives. But the ascension vindicated the cross. As they stood there that day and watched him ascend, the humiliation of the cross became the victory of Jesus. They saw this work has been now completed. The ascension was the self-declaration of Jesus that he had won the victory. Melvin Hugan says it like this. Hebrews tells us that in an act of enormous courage and defiance, Jesus endured the cross despising the shame, and then he adds, 
significantly that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Watch this. Incarnation, atonement, resurrection, and ascension. The going down and the coming up of the Son of God open the way not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but also for the lifting of our shame. For these are ingredients in the accepting grace of God and in the invitation to union with God's Son. You see, the ascension vindicated the cross. The ascension said the cross is complete. The work is final. Jesus has indeed conquered. Thirdly, let me talk about the resurrection and the ascension for just a moment if I could. These two are the hardest two to separate. They belong together in so many ways. Even when, even when the writers and the disciples and the apostles spoke of the resurrection and the ascension, they seemed to almost run the two together. Matter of fact, listen to the words of Peter. This is in Acts chapter 5. And uh, this is when they've been told not to talk about Jesus anymore. They got thrown into prison and they got beaten and they said to them, okay, we'll let you go, but don't ever talk about Jesus again. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And then look at how Peter describes this. The God of our Father raised up Jesus, whom you all murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand. Notice in, in just two sentences, God raised him up. That's the resurrection. Now God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all witnesses to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit whose God has given to those who obey him. So Peter said, it's hard to separate these two. God raised him out of the tomb and now he has exalted him to the father's right hand. Yet these two closely related events do need to be distinguished. Remember uh, on Resurrection Day, the resurrected Jesus met up with Mary. Remember that? And he had not yet ascended. Look at these words in John 20. You'll remember the story. Mary stood outside the tomb. She was weeping. And as she wept, she, she stooped down and she looked deep into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, why, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener said, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. And then Jesus spoke her name. That was it, Mary. Something about the way he spoke her name, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, rabbi, teacher, master. And Jesus said to her, you can imagine, she turned and she probably went for him. She lunged for him. He said, do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, my God, and your God. I'm going to ask you to think with me this morning. I hope it's okay to ask you all to think on Sunday morning. I'm going to ask you to think with me for just a moment, all right? 
The resurrection and the ascension are clearly distinct here. He's already resurrected, but he said, don't touch me yet because I've not yet ascended. Let me just make a few statements here, and I think it'll come together. The ascension did not just extend his resurrected life. It relocated his resurrected life. And that new location now validates his life. You see, the ascension took, please look right here for just a moment. The ascension took the resurrected Christ and relocated him relocated the resurrected Jesus, relocated him in heaven. The resurrection was Jesus being raised from the dead. The ascension was his resurrected life being brought into heaven and seated at the Father's right hand. And in this exalted position, Jesus now does what he could not have done before he ascended. Let me tell you what he does now. He's now ascended. He couldn't have done that. If he just stayed, if his resurrected life would, if he had just walked around here until, until 2022 and tried a different church every week and showed up here this morning, if he'd have never ascended, he could not be doing the things he is doing now as the ascended resurrected Christ. First thing he does is he pours out his spirit. He said to his disciples, I need to leave because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. It is expedient, it is necessary for you that I go so that he can come. So today, he sits at the Father's right hand and he pours out the Spirit of God on your life and mine. When we're struggling, when we're hurting, Jesus is pouring out the Spirit. He cannot, could not have done that had his resurrected life stayed on earth. But the ascension took his resurrected life to a new location where he now is doing things he could not have done. Secondly, he lives as a reminder to the Father of our forgiveness. 1 John chapter 2, my little children, John says, I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. It's a little confusing for a Sunday morning, but when Jesus died, he took as our great high priest his blood, the blood of the Lamb of God, and he placed it on the heavenly mercy seat before God to satisfy God's justice. And Jesus now sits at the Father's right hand, and he is our advocate. How many would like to live your life with never sinning again? <laughs> Some of you didn't raise your hand. I kind of like my sin. At least twice a week. Come on, let me get away with it. I know you all meant to raise your hand, I'm sure. By faith, I believe you all meant to raise your hand. Um, I write these things so you won't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand pointing to his blood shed for us, reminding the Father, you don't have to judge them because I paid the price. How many are thankful for that this morning? So the ascended, resurrected Christ is able to do things that he wasn't able to do or wouldn't be able to do had he just extended his resurrection life on earth. He's our advocate. I don't know how many of you saw the movie, The Blind Side, it was a great movie I probably watched that thing 15 times now, but Michael Orr, 
later played for the Baltimore Ravens. You know the, the story, some of you do. Sandra Bullock was the star, and they adopt, ultimately adopt Michael Oler as their uh, son, help him get into college, ultimately he becomes a professional football player. But he came from a really rough background, and there's this one scene where Sean, which is their naturally born son, um, Michael finally gets his driver's license and he's driving the, driving the vehicle and he and Sean are kind of jamming down and they're talking and, and he doesn't see a car pull out in front of him. They have an accident and Sandra Bullock gets a call and she runs the scene of the accident and, and Sean is laying there on the, the gurney and she's afraid that something bad is wrong with him and he sits up and wants to know if the blood will come off of his shirt and then she finally walks over and she finds Michael who's just devastated. It feels like family don't going to love him anymore, that they've kicked him out and, or would kick him out and his first time really driving Sean around and here's what happened and he had his arm kind of folded up and they've already told, they've already told Sandra Bullock that, that the airbag when deployed should have done more harm to Sean if at all, if he would have lived at all. And she looked at Michael's arm and it was just completely destroyed and torn up and blood everywhere. And she said, Michael, what'd you do to your arm? And he said, I stuck my arm out so that the airbag wouldn't hit Sean. That's just a neat little story, but that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. How many believe that? Shed his blood for us. And he, the resurrected Christ, ascended now at the Father's right hand is an advocate for us. Reminding the Father, I shed my blood for them. Pours out his spirit on us. He lives as a reminder of our forgiveness. He intercedes for us. Told Peter, he said, Peter, Satan desires to have you, that he might sift you as we, but I'm going to be praying for you. I love the fact that he's praying for me. You know what? No matter what difficulty you brought in this morning, Jesus is already praying about that for you. Somebody say amen if you believe that. The ascended, resurrected Christ is praying for us. The ascension brought the resurrection life of Jesus into heaven so that he could be our heavenly priest. Let me give you the last one and I'll quit. So the ascension and the return of Jesus. They too are intricately connected. The ascension not only clarifies and elevates the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, it also anticipates his coming. Remember the, um, the angel said, the same Jesus that you've seen ascend is gonna come back in like manner. The ascension is not the climax or the end of the story. It is the beginning of the end. The present era, listen to me really closely, the present era that we live in today has a limit. I don't know when that limit is, but it has a limit. This is not gonna go on forever. His ascension was necessary, but it was temporary. He ascended 40 days after his resurrection. He is seated at the Father's right hand, but he is seated there temporarily because he will return once again 
to consummate all things. Three little verses we've been talking about in Hebrews, and I love this. So those of you who've been here on Wednesdays know what I'm talking about. Three times the word appears, shows up in Hebrews 9. First time is chapter 9 and verse 11. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation. This speaks of Christ's incarnation. He came to be our high priest. He appeared to be our high priest. Secondly, the second time it shows up is in verse 24. For Christ has now entered not into the holy places, but made with hands, which are copies of the true things. But he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Everybody look at me for just a moment. He is making an ongoing appearance for us right now, interceding for us. The resurrected Christ, whose resurrection life has been relocated in heaven at the Father's right hand, is appearing in the presence of God on our behalf. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. That's what he's doing right now. That's not the end of the story. Look at the last verse where this appears, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The ascension is not the end. It was the beginning of the end. He's now appearing in the presence of God right now while I'm preaching. He is praying for you. He's advocating for you. He's praying for me. He's advocating for me. But he's going to appear again. His lordship, listen, I'm almost done. His lordship is currently hidden in heaven. But one day it's going to be revealed to all humanity. Right now his lordship is in heaven alone. But one day, Revelation eleven fifteen is going to come true. The seventh angel is going to blow his trumpet and there will be loud voices saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 19, verse 11 will come true. I saw heaven open and a white horse and he that was seated upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head have many diadems or on his head many diadems has a name written on him that no one knows. His clothes are dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven Rayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him. On white horses from his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress to the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right now his lordship is hidden in heaven. But one day he will return to appear again. We, the bride, cry out in the presence of the Spirit, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We confess that we believe in the ascension of Christ and the exaltation of Christ, and we entreat him to come so that every eye may behold him, that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess. The hope of Christ's coming keeps our eye trained for the future. It makes us thankful for the presence and the current victory that we have in Jesus Christ as we long for his return. Let me close with this. Oswald Chambers said it this way. 
at his ascension, our Lord entered heaven. And he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. That's why he ascended. He descended to bring God to humanity. He ascended to bring humanity to God. And he's coming back to take us to be with him someday. Would you stand with me this morning, please? You know, when we, uh, as humanity, have tried to go to another world, there's always been danger. Some of you will remember this, January 1967, there was a launch pad test of Apollo 1. It was to be the first flight of a three-man Apollo capsule into Earth's orbit. Somewhere in the capsule's 31 miles of wiring, a wire had been stripped of its insulation and the bare wire happened to be near a cooling line and there was a violent chemical reaction between the silver and the wire and the ethylene, ethylene glycol. Within just five seconds, flames spread across the cabin at 6.31 p.m. Astronaut George Chafee said, we've got fire in the cockpit. A few seconds later, the transmission ended with a cry of pain. And all three astronauts died. Two years later, Apollo 11 got ready to carry human beings to the moon. And Richard Nixon was the president. He asked William Saffer to write a speech entitled, In Event of Moon Disaster. If anything went wrong on the moon mission, Nixon would read the speech on TV. The radio communications with the moon would be cut off. The astronauts would be left alone to die. And a minister would commend their soul to the deepest of the deep. But that's not what happened on July 20th, 1969, with less than 30 seconds of fuel left. The lunar module landed in the Sea of Tranquility Commander Neil Armstrong stepped off the ladder onto a gray powdery surface of the moon. It was the first time a human had ever gone to another celestial body. After their return, the astronauts had parades, they had dinners held in their honor. President Nixon gave each astronaut the Presidential Medal of Freedom. What a celebration. The human race had just accomplished its greatest technological achievement of all time. When Jesus accomplished the greatest act of love and redemption, the greatest of all time, when he went through the clouds and he splashed down onto heaven's shores, what a celebration he started. He had done it. Jesus had completed the most dangerous and most important mission of all time. He had faced every temptation, but he never gave in to sin. He stood up to the intense hatred of people with only truth and love. He could have called legions of angels to rescue him, but he willingly obeyed. And he fulfilled his mission of giving up his life as a sacrifice to bring people back to God. He defeated the devil, he destroyed death, and now he has returned in victory. The Father welcomes in the ascension Jesus home, and he seats him at his right hand, the place of highest honor. And he gives all authority to Jesus. So why do we celebrate ascension? 
because all heaven celebrates the victorious return of the Son, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion who conquered, the One who says in joy and power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Our crucified, risen, and ascended Christ deserves all of our worship and all of our glory. How many believe that to be true this morning? Your heads bow for just a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to invite him to be the Lord of your life today. I'd love to pray with you. If you're here and you've said, you say, Pastor Kevin, I've never committed my life to him, but today I want to do that just by an upraised hand. Would you just slip up your hand? I'll pray with you right where you're at. Anyone in this room that would say, I want to know the Lord. I want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Anyone in this room would say, would you pray for me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone in this place? Can we just lift our voices to him who deserves all of our glory and worship the ascended, resurrected, soon coming King. Would you worship him together?